So Luke 8, verses 40 through 56. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. If you remember, he went with his disciples across the lake. There was the storm. He landed in the land of the Gentiles, the Gerasenes. He healed the man with the the evil spirits. And then they immediately returned. The crowds were still waiting for him there. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, The crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he said, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And as you do, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. So as we were able to do this morning, we have uh, ordained and installed Bill to the office of elder, and I think that is a very exciting thing for our church. I know the other members of the session are excited to have Bill on board um, to share in some of the duties and the responsibilities of an elder, uh, but also for his ideas, for his wisdom, um, and for his heart for Trinity. Um, Being with Bill over the last year and especially over these last couple of months of intense training, I've gotten to see his heart. Um, He is a humble servant and he will serve Trinity well. 
And, um, God's been really gracious to Trinity over the last year or so. Um, we have Bill as a new elder. He has brought to us Heath as our new worship director. Um, he has brought some new faces uh, to our congregation as well, and it's been wonderful. Uh, we've really appreciated uh, what God has been doing. Um, just to give you a, a little taste of what is to come, uh, coming in August, uh, I'm going to be doing a sermon series on, in a sense, who we are as a church, kind of our, our vision of where God is leading us, where God is guiding us um, through these things. Um, just like each church is a body and has individual parts and we all come together and play different roles, so churches as well are part of the larger body of Christ. And he has called different churches in unique ways. Uh, we all have the same calling, um, but how churches live out that calling will be different based on our context, based on who we are. Um, so the question is, how do we uniquely live out the gospel here in Sherwood, Arkansas? And I know not, a lot of us aren't actually from Sherwood, Arkansas. So how do we live out the gospel in our context here in Sherwood and in North Little Rock and in Maumelle and Jacksonville and south of Little Rock and north of Little Rock and all of central Arkansas? How is God using us uh, to advance the gospel here? So we've asked you to pray for Bill and for your leaders this morning. I'm going to reiterate that. Um, I would ask for you to pray for us as we seek God's direction as a church. Uh, in July, we're going to have uh, a, an elders retreat where we're going to seek God's vision for us as we move forward. And I ask that you would pray for that. So coming in August, we'll be doing a, a special sermon series um, to kind of give us an idea of where, where God is, is leading us. <clears throat> but before that, we're going to continue our march through the book of Luke. And actually, um, we have come to the end of Luke 8 here. We have seen Jesus going across the lake and coming back. He is back in Jewish territory. They've been waiting for him. I have no idea if days went by, if this was all on the same day, but the crowds knew that he was coming back and they are patiently waiting. And these are, this is a story that we know well. This is the story of Jairus and of this woman. So first of all, we're going to see that when we come to Christ in our desperation, He treats us according to our needs. Therefore, we should not be afraid, but believe. And we see this in the lives of Jairus and of this woman. So first of all, the desperation, coming to Christ in desperation. So you see Jairus' context here. He's a ruler of the synagogue, and he has one child, a 12-year-old daughter, and she's sick. In fact, she's very sick. He is desperate. And if uh, you're like me, you do not like to see children who are in pain, children who are suffering. We don't like to see suffering at all. Uh, suffering in, in any capacity um, is, is something that is, is, is heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching to see someone suffering. But I feel like it takes on a different nature when it's a child. When you see a child who is, who is in the hospital. A child who is suffering from some sort of disease. Our youngest, Abigail, turned one yesterday. 
Uh, she is a one-year-old. It uh, seems like this past year has just flown by. I cannot believe that she's already one. She's starting to walk around the house already, toddling around in that cute way that uh, little babies do. But to think of her, how joyful she usually is, how uh, she often wakes up with a smile on her face. To think of her as a 12-year-old, first of all, is crazy. I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, But to think of her suffering in any way, it's heartbreaking. I know that there will be times in her life where she will go through difficult situations. But to see her suffering, (laughs) it brings tears to my eyes, which is no surprise. Um... What parent wouldn't want to do whatever they possibly could to help their child? And so this is what Jairus does. He was at a point of utter desperation, and so he comes to the place where he, uh, the only place where he knows to go, and that is to Jesus. And then we see the story of this woman. She has also spent the last 12 years, the entire lifetime of Jairus' child, this daughter, um, She has spent this time, and she has spent all of her life savings trying to find a cure for this condition that she has, this blood condition. She has been living in a state of perpetual uncleanliness. Uh, The Jews, according to their law, if someone had a discharge of blood in any way, they were considered unclean. So for the past 12 years, she had been living in in a very real way, like this man we talked about last week, who was possessed by demons. She was an outcast in her own society because no one could touch her without becoming unclean. She was an outcast amongst all these people. This man possessed by a demon was out among the tombs, but she, in a sense, was an island with a sea of people around her. And she was trying desperately to get well, but nothing was working. Both of these people are at a place of desperation in their lives and having nowhere else to turn, they come to Jesus. You know, desperation is not a comfortable place for us to be in. But it is often a necessary place for us. This week I was reminded of the story of Corey Tenboom. Maybe you uh, recall her story She lived in the Netherlands during World War II. She wrote the book, uh, The Hiding Place. She is a concentration camp survivor. But during the the time of German occupation of the Netherlands, her family built a secret room in their house to hide Jews from the Nazis. Um, It was uh, found out. Uh, Her family was eventually arrested and put into a concentration camp. She saw many of her family members die, but she was able to survive. And she went on to write that famous book, uh, The Hiding Place. <clears throat> and during that time, uh, Corey Tenboom is quoted as saying this. She said, You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You know, God allows us to come to a point of desperation in order to draw us near to Him or to draw us back to Him. 
Uh, we see that in the, in the situation of Jairus. We see that with the woman. They are drawn to Jesus because of their desperation. We see that in the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, how he faithfully agrees to sacrifice his son Isaac, who had become an idol to him. And God uses that to draw Abraham to himself. Uh, we see that in the story of Samson, where Samson is the strongest man who ever lived. Um, nothing could, uh, could bind him, chains or ropes or anything. But uh, he finally has his hair cut, and he becomes just like you and me. He is at a, uh, his eyes become, they, they gouge out his eyes, he is put in jail. He is at a point of utter desperation. But it's at that point that he repents and he turns to the Lord. God uses that desperation to draw him to himself. Now this isn't always how God operates, but this is often how he does. And this is often what we need, coming to a point of desperation. Because desperation is for our benefit. You know, because of our nature, uh, we're often like the rich young ruler that Jesus encounters later in his ministry. Um, he's the one who keeps the law. He said, Jesus uh, tells him, you know, these are, are the things that you are to do. And he says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Uh, we know that that's not true. That couldn't possibly be true. But he is a man who considers himself righteous. But Jesus says, I want you to give all your possessions to the poor and then come and follow me. Jesus calls him to put away all that he has and come to Jesus. To get to a point where there is nothing except Jesus. And that was too hard for him to do. But imagine if the story were a little different. Imagine if instead of voluntarily having to give away his possessions, imagine something happened to him like happened to Job. Where Job, in a moment's time, had everything he had suddenly stripped away from him. I don't know what that rich young ruler would have done at that point. Um, what would he have done? Would he have come to Jesus or not? I see myself a lot in that rich, young ruler. Uh, not because I have great possessions or anything like that, but because I often see myself as better than I am. And I rest and I trust upon things other than Christ. And I think that's true of most of us. We live in our relative comfort and our relative ease and we often place our faith and hope and our trust in these things around us rather than Christ. Our finances, our jobs, our abilities, uh, other people, our, our health. But God knows, and we know too, if we're honest, that trusting in anything other than Christ is utterly worthless. So what God does is He allows these desperate circumstances in our lives. He allows them to expose our need for Christ and He allows them so that we are drawn closer to Him. Physical circumstances may bring us to a place of desperation, but that's not the only thing. He also uses the conviction of sin to bring us to our knees. 
Realizing our sin puts us in a place of desperation because we realize how simply broken we really are. We realize that it's not on our own that we can fix ourselves. It's that we need Christ. And in our desperation, what we do is we cling to the cross. We cling to Him. Now, not all of us may feel like we're in a place of desperation this morning. Uh, Some of us may feel like we are due to physical circumstances, due to circumstances in relationships uh, with children, with family members. And often we think of of not being in a place of desperation as being in uh, in a good place, as a good thing. We enjoy a time of peace, a time of relative ease, a time of comfort, and that's fine. Uh, I'm not saying that we should pray for trials in our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not saying that we need to necessarily pray for God to bring us to a place of desperation. But sometimes we need to pray that prayer. We do. Because during the times of ease and of peace, we often walk away or we turn our backs on the Lord. It's much more difficult to remain vigilant in our faith when things are going well. That's why Jesus said it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because they don't feel like they have the need for Christ. What Corey Tenboom said is often true. You know, we don't often realize that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. But God doesn't have a cookie-cutter plan which how He operates in each one of our lives. He operates differently. We're all unique and He operates uniquely, just like He dealt with Jairus and this woman uniquely. And He treats us according to our needs. It's interesting how Jesus relates to Jairus in this story. Uh, A few weeks ago when Del Ferris was here preaching, he read the story of the centurion who had great faith, who had a, a servant who needed to be healed. And Jesus heals his servant from afar. He doesn't even need to go see the servant. He heals him on the spot. Jesus doesn't do that with Jairus. He goes and he travels to where the daughter is so that he can see her. He allows this distraction of the woman who comes up. Jesus is obviously going to heal the daughter, but the great crowd is around him. And he takes his time getting there. Why does he do this? And even while they're going, they receive this report that the little girl has died. But Jesus continues on. And he tells Jairus, don't fear. Only believe. And she will be well. You know, Jesus knew these things would happen. He knew this distraction of this woman would come. He was fully aware that the little girl would not make it by the time he got there. He allowed it to happen. Because not only was Jesus concerned with healing this girl, he was also concerned with the faith of Jairus. He was drawing out Jairus' faith. By acting in this way, Jesus was able to call Jairus to faith, even in and especially in the face of the death of his little girl. So this is the point in Jairus' life where Jesus is all that he had. All that Jairus has at this point is Jesus. And in the end, he realized that Jesus 
is all that he needs. But Jesus deals with a woman in a very different way, as you notice, than Jairus. The woman was obviously in a very different circumstance than Jairus was. Uh, Because of her condition, she couldn't even have been touching Jesus. Her doing that was against the law. She was unclean. She was not supposed to be doing that. But Jesus allows her touching of him in faith to heal her of her 12-year-long ordeal. Jesus doesn't let her get away with it either. He doesn't let her quickly sneak in, touch, be healed, and then sneak out again. He doesn't let her slink back into the crowd and disappear. Instead, he draws her out. He says, who touched me? And Peter, as he often does, says, Jesus, so many people are touching you. Come on. It's obvious. There's just so many. Um, But he said, no, someone touched me because he felt power going out from him. And she comes to the forefront and she's trembling because what she has done is wrong. She has touched Jesus in her uncleanliness. Uh, But Jesus says, daughter, he addresses her in such a way that is so endearing. He calls her daughter. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He tells her that her faith has healed her. Now, it isn't some sort of magic that has made her well. It's Christ that has made her well. And it's through faith that she has come to Jesus. And this act, what has happened, will ground her in her faith. And Jesus now gives credibility to her witness, what has happened to her. Imagine if Jesus had not drawn her out. If she would have gone from that place, being uh, miraculously healed, and then telling people what had happened to her. She may think, they may think that she was crazy. You mean, you touch the hem of Jesus' robe, and you are miraculously healed. That's it. They would think maybe that this was crazy talk. Um, but Jesus took the time to reveal the miracle so that she would have credibility in her witness. Now when she tells others the wonderful things that Jesus has done for her, her testimony is valid. Jesus himself has acknowledged it to be true. She had been an outcast for 12 long years, but now she is healed. And Jesus, instead of quickly dismisses her, dismissing her, he acknowledges her and he commends her for her faith. So how is the Lord working in our lives? As we look at these two stories, how is God working in our lives? You know, we're all at different points in our faith in Christ. Some of us may be further along on the journey uh, than others. Maybe you are one this morning who has never actually started the journey. Maybe you've even been acting like you have, but you've never actually taken the steps to surrender your life to Christ. Now is the time to begin. Come talk to me. I would love to walk you through that process. I know that I have only been here um, a little over a year Uh, But as I've gotten to know this congregation and fall in love with this congregation, I've come to see that God has allowed different trials, different struggles among us. We all have our unique circumstances, and God is working in and through them. No one is free from trials and temptations 
and sufferings. We're all going through different things, but we're all going through them together. And I think that's so important for us to realize. And God is using these times to draw us closer to Him in faith. He is using them to strengthen the faith that we have in Him. You know, Jairus came to Jesus out of his desperation. I have no idea where Jairus' faith was at that point. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us. But after journeying with Jesus, learning that his daughter had died, and then witnessing Jesus raise her from the dead, you can imagine what that whole ordeal did to Jairus' faith. You can imagine what he believed about Jesus after that. What if Jairus had never experienced that? What if he never had? What if his daughter had never gotten sick? Would he have come to faith in Christ apart from that? Maybe. It could happen. It could certainly happen. God doesn't need for us to go through this intense suffering for us to be drawn to Him. But often, because of our hard hearts, that is what we need. So as brothers and sisters in Christ, how important it is for us to walk through these circumstances together as brothers and sisters. Uh, I know that we can never fully understand one another, our exact circumstances, what we are going through. Uh, We often want to say, you know, I know what you're going through. But we don't exactly. Because we're each uniquely different. Every situation is different. But how important it is for us to be a listening ear to be a shoulder to cry on. To be there for those who are truly struggling. Uh, This is the beauty of the body of Christ. So in conclusion, Jesus' words for Jairus are clear words for us today. He said, don't be afraid, believe. Don't be afraid, believe. Don't be afraid because Jesus knows our circumstances. Jesus has been there. Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in right now, we do not need to be afraid because Jesus knows you. Jesus knows us. He is aware of what you're going through. He understands. He is with you. Don't be afraid. You are not alone. You are never alone. But believe. Believe that what you are going through, God is using to draw you to faith in Him. Believe that God can heal, but understand that He works according to His timetable and not ours. And He acts according to His glory and for our best interest. Believe that God is loving you through these times, no matter how difficult they may be. And in our circumstances of desperation, let's turn to Christ. Let's turn to Christ. Because those who come to Jesus in their desperation, He will never turn away. He never will. When we come to Him in our desperation, we acknowledge that we're in need of a Savior, and that is exactly why Christ came. He came to be our Savior. Christ came to save sinners, those who are in desperate circumstances because of our sin, people like you and like me who were dead in their sins. He came for us. And you can't get much more desperate 
than being dead in your sins. But Jesus came to bear the punishment of our sin through his death on the cross so that those who are in desperate circumstances, those like you and like me, might be rescued through faith in Christ. So hear the words of Christ this morning. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But believe. Believe in Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious God and our Father in Heaven, Lord, I thank You for Your truth that You do know us. That You are with us. That we are never alone. Because Lord, we do admit that we are often in a place of desperation. And we may even feel that desperation this morning. And it looks different for every one of us. But You come to us uniquely in our own circumstances. You come by the power of Your Holy Spirit. And You treat us according to our needs. I pray that in our desperation we would be drawn to You in faith. Lord, I pray that You would, by Your power, heal. I pray that You would use these circumstances to heal our hearts through Your Gospel. That You would heal our physical trials and struggles as well. Lord, we trust in You. I pray that we would have the faith that even if You do not, that we know that You are good, And that Your glory would be revealed. And we long for the day, we look forward to when all uh, all healing will cease because it will no longer be needed. When no tears will flow except for tears of joy. We long for that day, Lord, when Your Son will come again and put to right everything that is wrong. And as we so often do, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And it's in your Son's name alone that we pray. Amen.